guys got it. doesn't charge. Okay. Where is everybody today? Pashki Seitze. Tess Elul. Actually, we were supposed to have a bringing for someone for Ronan's birthday tonight. He hasn't made it yet from Borough Park. We'll see if he shows. We'll celebrate birthday tonight. I mean, otherwise, Tess L is a yard site of a prominent chassid. Now, how do we gauge a prominent chassid? In the time of the Rebbe Rashab, there was a decree. They wanted to catch the Rebbe Rashab with the yeshiva. Although there was nothing wrong with what he was doing. So what they decided they were going to do, to pin the yeshiva on the Rebbe Rashab, because nobody could ever say who owned the place and who was the running of the place, etc. They... They instituted that every school. Oh, okay. One minute. One minute. One minute. One minute. We have to recall again. Yaron, I'm going to recall because obviously you didn't get through with a regular group call, so I have to recall the whole Skype group. Okay. I'm going to recall. Oh, can I? One minute. Okay, I'm hanging everybody up here. One minute. Okay, that's hung up. Hanging up the group. <coughs> Okay, now let's get back to the group. Let's call the group. Okay. Very confusing. Ooh. Okay. And they instituted that some of that the head of the yeshiva has to have his picture hanging in the hallway. By hanging his picture in the hallway, they would know. They would know who the head of the yeshiva is, and since the chassidim would hang up, of course, the Rebbe Rashab's picture. They would catch the Rebbe Rashab red-handed. The director, the principal of the yeshiva, was a chassid named Michal Lublina. Chassidim used to call him Michal Alta. Michal Lubliner, on Mesidus Nefesh, took a picture of himself and hung it up in the hall and says, I run this place. So when the authorities came to try to make any trouble, the Rebbe Rashab's name and face was nowhere to be found. Michal Bliner had an anical. Michal the Alter had an anical, Michal, who here in America was called Michal Bliner, or as they fondly called him, Misha Bliner. Misha lived here around the corner of 706 Eastern Parkway. He was a very, very interesting fellow. Ibar Hashem was always Matzliach pretty much what he did. Actually, the piano in the front room is his. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
I called his son. He has one son, and I called him today to make sure everything's okay. He's going to be all right. He wasn't feeling well. Shabbos, make sure he's going to get to shul. And he said, "Yeah, Baruch Hashem, Rabbi, I'm fine. I'm going to go to shul. Everything's fine." And then I hung up. I remembered. Oops, I forgot to ask him. I'm dedicating this year tonight, Lila Nishmas, the Mechol, but of Zalkin. And uh, <laughs> I need a story. So I use the, today's modern technology, since we don't know how to talk, mm-hmm. and we can't make a second phone call, Chas Hashem. I text him. I'm not expecting, of course, for him to text me back a story. And Baruch Hashem, the wonderful world of text, had its effect, and he immediately called me back. He's a very, very emotional fellow, Misha, uh, Ilya, and... Uh, He's very touched to going to dedicate the shir to the Nishmas, his father. And he said, yeah, you know, there's many stories, obviously, about a person like this. Stories that I heard from, I used to go for walks with him. In the later years, he wasn't well, he had to go for walks at night. He used to walk around the streets of Crown Heights a little bit. I used to hear stories from him. Escaped the Seyfetera that he took out with pictures and things. It's amazing, amazing stories. This man went through under the table by the Rebbe's. So one interesting story that was, he says, that, that sticks out more than anything else. And this is a story that was told by Rabbi Garelik in Petersburg, in Leningrad. When he heard that Misha was Nifter, on Tess L, eight years now. Whoops. I believe it's eight years. It might be nine if I'm really incorrect, but if I am, I'm sorry. He spoke in shul, and he told the story of the shul. He says, next door to the shul was a hospital. In Russian, you can't say H. It says a gospital. A gospital. It's a, you know, boy, they call him Gersh. Yeah, Russian family, they call him Gersh. So one day, everybody calls him Gershin. The kids call him Gershin, all his friends call him Gershin. Boy finally started putting on Tvilin, on his Tvilin bag, it says Tzvi Hirsh. So I said, right away, I understood exactly what it is. The father's Russian. I can't say Hershi. So he calls him Gershi. And Gersh, everybody calls him Gershin. Now it's interesting to note that the uh, Unless the boy, I'm going to go over, his cousin's getting married tonight. So I can always go over to the wedding and find out if he's changed the name back to Tzvi Hirsch or something. But if not, there would actually be a Shaila, I mean, in my noble opinion, I'm not giving up Sach Halacha. By his Chuppah, by his Ksuba, you'd have to write Tzvi Hirsch and in parentheses Gershon. Because everybody knows him as Gershon. If you write Tzvi Hirsch, nobody's going to know who it is. But, in due time, he's a young boy still, so the devil will have time to deal with that. Anyway, next to the hospital was the shul. And it's the good old days in, in 48, 49, where the communist Russians had no problems taking over a shul, taking over any given property. And they decided... 
they wanted to make a laundry area for the hospital. The shul is right next door. They're going to annex the shul. Annex the shul. And that's it. And they have where to make a laundry room. Free property. People got wind of this. And they came to Misha. And they said, Misha, Slushne, listen, problema, got a big problems here. They told him that they want to take over the shul, they want to just close it down. The vice says there was a big shul and a smaller shtibel on the side. The smaller shtibel was the Chabad minion. They want to just close it down and make it into a laundry area. So Misha went together with a few chabra. This is not happening. Can't let this happen. And they came to the municipality. And they said, uh, What exactly do you want? So they said, right, We're making a laundry area. He says, Listen, after the shul, this is either, I don't know if it was a, a warehouse, empty building, or a space. He says, why don't you just take your pipes for your laundry and everything else, dig under the shul, and make it after the shul. Make it in the next space. He said, it's a dengue. It's going to cost money. It's going to be... It's harasha, skolka. How much you need? And they told him, I'm sure they can sum money. How much it's going to cost to, to uh, make this pipes and everything under the shul. And I said, we'll pay. We'll bring you the money. So the municipality said, you know what, we'll give you a week. You look sincere, we'll give you a week to do it. And it was an exorbitant amount of money. It wasn't a pocket change. And in the meshach of the week, Misha raised the entire money. Misha literally saved the shul. And he says to the son and the son, you know, you listen to the stories and you say, eh, it could be, it might be. But Rabbi Gorelik told the story over and said, I remember this happening. So it's not such a simple story. And it's not such simple, Mr. Nefesh. You have to also realize, <laughs> he raised money for a show. He gave money for a laundromat over here. But ultimately he was raising money to save a shul. Communist Russia, 48, 49. This is punishable by death in its own right. This was a chassid. This is the Nishmas Mechol and Abzalkin. A true, true chassid. And you know, you say sometimes a chassid in his own way, chassid in his own home. This man didn't have a beard, but you saw Ad Geta Chasid. It was an amazing thing to see, an amazing sight. And uh, we miss him. Says Chusn Yagalino, and the Shamash Avanaliya, and I'm sure he's definitely davening for all of us, and definitely davening for his family, for Ilya, for the daughters, and for the grandchildren. There's a, there's a little Misha already also, Baruch Hashem. And uh, we should be Zeche 
the nevuah of a kitzur ran the sheikh neyafar v'hu b'seichem v'hu b'reishem because he's going to be right up there together with the rebbes. Pashki seitze. Let's turn the real focus now. Pashki seitze. Small little pasha. Hundred and ten pesukim. Only seventy-four mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are saying mitzvahs. They say pounding away one after the other. One of the mitzvahs mentioned is mitzvahs yivum. Mitzvahs yivum is that if a man Rachman passes away and has no children, his oldest brother has to marry his wife. And their first son, they have to call after him. To continue the name of the further person. Otherwise the man's name gets lost. Hmm. The halach is, what happens if the brother doesn't want? Nechotche, I don't want to marry her. So the Taylor says we have a solution. It's not just say chalitza. It's not just say you're exonerated. You have to go through a process. Now the Torah is going through processes here. They are talking about kiddush and marriage, and then the ultimate solution to marriage, divorce. I mean, that didn't sound right, did it? No, it's not a solution to marriage. <laughs> but ultimately, we see that God prepares the refuah before the makkah. He always prepares the medicine before the sickness. And we see that if you look in the order of Shas, of the different Talmud, Sechtas Gitten comes before Mesechtas Kedushan. So if Gitten is coming before Kedushan, then obviously he prepared the Refuah before the Makkah. I'm definitely happy my wife is not in the room at the time. Um, I got away with it now. There's a very small chance she's going to listen to this, I really get away with this. Um... Not a funny joke, though. The Taylor talks about tradition and Gitten in this week's Pasha. And the Chazal tells us that if by a get, if a couple divorces, the Mizbeach cries. Now, interesting, the Mizbeach. The Menorah was used to illuminate the world. The Menera and the Besamigdash was brought light everywhere. Beautiful. The 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 Shulchan had bread, warm bread a whole week long, and brought such harmony to people. Mizbeach. Why use the Mizbeach as an example to cry? The altar? Now I don't know what fields most people are in. But there are many people that, believe it or not, that can faint at the sight of blood. There are such people. And until you see it, you think it's a joke. But I've seen it. I've seen it because all of a sudden, somebody cut themselves, or there was an accident, or whatever it is, and somebody walked by, and then they went, passed out. And it was just an amazing thing to see. It's, just, it's something that you hear about, it's an expression, hey, you faint at the sight of blood, and you, know, you laugh about it, and all of a sudden to see it, he <laughs> say, hey, <laughs> are you acting or are you just... Uh... But blood, 
and then the expression of somebody that's that's heartless and ruthless, they're cold blooded. The Mizbeach sees blood all day. On the altar, they're throwing blood at or the altar all day. every sacrifice they spray the blood on the altar. And the altar is made of stone. The stones cannot be hewed out of with metal. The stones have to be natural. And they're put together and the measurements, etc. Stone is a daimim. There's no emotion in daimim. Says the Teda, even the emotionless daimim, the emotionless stone, cries when a person, a couple get divorced. Tells us how severe this is. So this is the ultimate opposite of Kedushin is Gitan. What happens the man does not want to do Yivama. He doesn't want to do Yivum. doesn't want to take the wife of his brother. Tehidah says his solution is Chalitza. What's Chalitza? It's a disgusting, horrific process. Gitan, you take the paper, they write the twelve lines... And he takes it, and he gives it to the wife, and says, I get him. No, doesn't say I get him. He says, there's a get him. He doesn't say, I get him Shabbos, I get him, I get him, I get him. Say, I'm a gizent, I get him. Um, no. But he gives the get, and it's shalom. It's not shalom, it's over. Chalitza, the whole process, a boot, a leather boot, tied with with uh, long laces back and forth, and the lady takes the laces off and takes it off and then takes the shoe off and spits in the shoe and throws the shoe at him. It's horrific. It's humiliating. What's all the shoe though? What does it all have to do with the shoe? Removing of a shoe—that's it. Where does it symbolize? What is it symbolizing here? We know that Rashi tells us that Yaakov Avinu was buried, but Yaakov lay mace. Yaakov lay mace. Going back to the yard site that we're talking about. Yaakov lay mace. Yaakov did not die. Why did Yaakov not die? Ma zare b'chaim, afu b'chaim. Just as his children continued his legacy, so too he lives on. He lives on through his children. He lives on through his legacy. He lives on and continues through his children. Here we're talking about a story of a man, Rahman al-Hassan, that passed away without a child. Childless. Vastutman. He has no child. What will continue? What will continue his legacy? So we say, brother, marry the wife, so that the legacy can continue, can live on. And the brother says no. So by saying no, the legacy of this person now is coming to an end. This man is officially dead. If the man is officially dead, it says that during the time of mourning, the mourners may not wear leather shoes. So the first action is he has to take off his shoes. So she's removing the shoe from his foot. 
saying that the significance of what you're doing is causing mourning to your brother's death, because you're causing the brother to actually be dead. I've told the story before, but it's cute, and I thought I was smart when I did it. I still think I was smart doing it. In case you don't know what it's like, it rained a few days in a row. In case you don't know. Some people don't know that it could rain for a few days in a row. It's fine when you're in a city, and it's a work week, and it's morbid, and you get headaches from it, and your arthritis disturbs you, and everything else. But, what happens when you're in camp? You're in camp, and you have to... uh, (laughs) You're in camp, and you have to entertain the kids. You have to entertain the kids. And the kids are relying on their field, their baseball field, their basketball court, their hockey, their sports, their swimming pool. And it's raining. So Baruch Hashem, camps came up with, they understood that they could happen. He told you he heard about the raining, he's crying. And they found a solution called indoor games. They have board games, this games, and that games. So, on a one-day basis, uh, one or two activities get missed. You have indoor games, you keep the kids busy. On the second day, you come up with different types of games. When it's three days in a row, you're in trouble. <laughs> kids are going stir-crazy. So, we're sitting the night before, after two days of rain, we're sitting the councils together with the head counselor, and the councils are at nerves end because we've been locked up, cooped up with our campers in the bunkhouses or in the closed-in areas for two days already. We're going, they're going stir crazy. We're going crazier. So we started kicking around the idea what we could do. So the idea that we came up with is every bunk will have to repre- have to present a halacha skit. What's a halacha skit? You come up with a halacha, with a certain law, and you present how it happens, how it works. So what happens in camp is there's a morning activity, then there's lunch, then there's two afternoon activities. So it was decided that during the morning activity, everybody prepare your halachas kids. Tell us what material you need and everything else, prepare your halachas kids. And the, during the afternoon, everyone is going to sit in the shul, and we're going to watch all the skits from all the bunks. And the bunks, the skit that comes out the nicest, and the funniest, or the best, or whatever it is, the most entertaining, will win a watermelon, I think it was. <laughs> Good. But you have to know, you have to tell us what halacha it is that you're doing. Okay. I chose chalitza. Out of all the halachas that really everybody's so well versed in, chose chalitza. And um, the scene opens up, and I was able to use all my campers in this. Because the scene opens up, and um, one one of the kids is dressed up like a woman, and the other one is his husband, and she was a shrew. A shrew in Hebrew is called a klafta. 
It's called a klafta. She was a... Oof! She would throw things and scream and yell and curse her husband. It's terrible. So you see the husband sitting there by the breakfast table and the husband's brother is sitting there with him. And she's cursing and yelling and throwing pots and throwing pans and throwing the food at him. And, and it's very comical and... Uh, Another one of the campers was a nephew, another one of the campers was something else. And they were all coming in, they were trying to defend this poor husband. They stopped, come on, you keep you're beating up on him so often, so much. She started getting violent. And she's hitting him and hitting him. And the brother says, hey, you're going to hurt him, stop. And then she got fed up, the hands were hurting her. She took a big frying pan and she started coming after her husband. So the brother says, you got to be careful, you're going to, God forbid, kill him, you got no kids, and then I'll be in trouble. <laughs> and lo and behold, she takes the frying pan, clobbers him, kills her brother, kills the husband. The brother falls down on his dead brother, and starts to cry, my brother, my brother. And this is supposed to be an emotional scene, the brother died now. What have you done? You left me with her. <laughs> now I'm going to have to marry her. How am I going to, what's going to become of me? I'm going to have the same, I'll share the same fate as you. I'm going to suffer like you. I'm going to be killed like you. This is terrible. Brother, how did you do this to me? And he doesn't know how to do it. And he turns to the crowd and he's got this cry and look on his face. The kid was fantastic. And he said, anybody, somebody help me, save me from this terrible fate. All of a sudden you hear from the back of the stage someone screaming, and out comes a kid with a cape and a big ches on his chest and he screams Chalitza man (laughs) he's coming to save the day and he stood there and he described and he translated exactly what Chalitza is and he told him that the Chalitza is going to save him and through Chalitza and my Chalitza, special Chalitza that I have prepared, you're going to be fine he's holding a big boot in his hand and we're going to save you from this woman and and they go to Bezden and he does the whole Chalitza and the place was in, in, needless to say, it was hysterical, hysterical I think they got the watermelon that's more important than anything so mitzvahs have color also to them <coughs> but main thing you're going out to war against your enemy and not the beginning end of a parasha after match and the end of Kiseitze is always read on parasha Zacher the Mechias Amalek the war with Amalek which we'll get into as well what is the Melchama Levecha? What is the enemy that we're talking about? We're talking about obviously the Sahara. And therefore, Kiseitze finds itself in the time of Chaydesh El, where we're preparing for the war so we can prepare for Rosh Hashanah. Ironically, I had a tremendous inspiration this morning. It's been the first and last one I've had in about 40 years. But it was amazing. We're saying Tillam today. Tillam is divided up according to the days of the month. Today is Yem Ches, was Yem Ches, which starts capital Mem Dalit. We also say now, in Chedesh El, the three Kapitlach, which means every day we say three chapters of Tehillim, the first day Aleph Beis Gimel, the second Dalit Hei Vav, etc. 
we add these three kapitra, and this goes on until Yom Kippur. And in Yom Kippur, we finish the last 36 kapitra. So, in the Kapitlach of Chaydish, Chesla Chaydish, we have Lam Natseach bin Ginez, which is Lam Natseach that is said before the reading of, of Shefer. We say it seven times before we read Shefer, before we blow the Shefer. That's actually one of the miracles that happened in Rosh Hashanah. That before we blow Shefer, we say Lam Natseach seven times and not Kufi Yates. We say Kufi Yates seven times, we never got a show. So Lam Natseach was in today's Tehillim. And then in the three Kapitlach were Chavbeis, Chavgimel, and Chavdalid. And the Chavdalid is also the David Mizmer, Shem Aretz which is also prominently said on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. So today, Ches Elul ties itself, blends itself to both, to, to, very, very strongly to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur with, through the way of Tehillim. So obviously, Elul, as it goes, and I'm sure we find in each day a different way and connection to the preparation for Rosh Hashanah. And this, so too, is where we're holding it now. We're holding in preparation for Rosh Hashanah. Still, a story of the Bashama Kodesh was davening. When he davened Shemrese, it took quite a while. And the younger people, or the older people, whatever it was, the weaker people in the shul, would finish Manessa substantially before. They'd go home and make Kiddush. And they'd come back and the Basanta still didn't finish, so they were fine. Ba'a Yem, Shemesa was taking very long. And even the older Chassidim, and even the closer Chassidim couldn't hold out anymore. And they all left to make Kiddush. When they came back, the Bashanta was sitting. They were shocked. They deserted the Bashanta. So after Davri, they asked the Bashanta, what happened all of a sudden? Shemesa just finished. Bashanta explained, when you climb a tree, you have a tree underneath you, you have something holding you up. What happens if something pulls out the tree? You're going to fall. When I daven with the chassidim in the shul, they're my pyramid to hold me up. Everybody left. It collapsed. So I didn't have where to go anymore. So the essence, the Rebbe, comes on very, very strongly to the chassidim in that case. There's a famous story of the Rebbe Rashab. There was a chassid, Avram Ele Gerari, who had married apparently a wealthy family, and received a nice dowry of 10,000 rubles, whatever it was. However, apparently he, his hand or muzzle was not shining, and he lost everything but a 1,000 rubles. Wherever he invested, he lost. Now, this did not impress his wife, his newly married wife, to say the least. And because of that, she started getting very agitated with him. At the time, the Rebbe Rashab arrived in Petersburg. And the Rebbe got off the train 
picked for his luggage, and he had also a box of svarim that he brought with him. And the box was nowhere to be found. And this was extremely painful for the Rebbe. Without his svarim, how did the Rebbe be without his svarim? The Rebbe went to look here and there, and there was nowhere to be found. Sorry, Rabbi Avmela came to the Rebbe to pill, spill his woes and told the Rebbe of the terrible story that happened to him, how he lost 9,000 ruble and he's about to lose his marriage too. So the Rebbe said, you know what? Do me a favor. Here's my claim ticket. Go to the train station and get me my svarim. We'll talk after. So he came to the train station, and he goes to the baggage claim, and it was a piece of cake. The baggage claim was closed. <laughs> and he's banging, and he's crying, and he's screaming, and he's yelling, and he's there's no one there. How's he going to go back to the Rebbe now, empty-handed? The Rebbe needs his farm. Meantime, there was like a little rest area, rest restaurant-type area next door to the plane. He sat down, and he took a cup of tea, and he took out a cigarette and lit up. In those days, you were allowed to smoke public places. Kitzer, he lights up, and a well-dressed gentleman staring at him. So he looks at the man, and he says, you know what, why don't you join me? I said, don't mind if I do. Like a cigarette? He says, sure. Gives him a cigarette, and they're sitting, and they're talking. Kitze, well-dressed man, says to him, uh, what are you doing here? The train station, the Vaxal, what, what, what would a guy like you doing in the train station? So he tells him the whole story. The Rebbe's box got lost, and uh, the Rebbe gave me the ticket to go get it back. <laughs> You're not serious. I'm serious. You came to get something from the luggage? He says, yeah, but it's closed, I don't know what to do. So what do you mean what you do? You give me the ticket, I am in charge of the luggage. <laughs> You're my friend now. <laughs> all of a sudden, the guy walks outside with the ticket and starts screaming and yelling. From all sides, all the workers come running. And they open up the luggage area. And they start pulling everything out. And in the corner, buried under everything, was the Rebbe's box. Hmm? He goes back to the Rebbe. And he gives the Rebbe the Svarim, and the Rebbe says, thank you. He says, Nishto? What about me? Oh, you. Alright. Go to, I don't remember the name of the town. Hashem will bless you there. Gives he travels to the town. Gets the early morning. Samanga have to take off for a dip. The hotel didn't have a pool, don't worry. <laughs> but it was near the water. Found obviously a secluded area. And he comes back out. Oh, before he left, though, his wife was very, very happy now that the Rebbe gave him a shlichus and he did it. So he started to gain favor in her eyes again. <laughs> and she baked him some nice cakes for the journey and everything. Kitsa is sitting on the Svatyam in the sand 
and he has one of the cakes that his wife baked. This isn't good. I'll go soon, strolling. Fellow walks by and sees him sitting there in the sand and says to him, Dobro utra. He says, Dobro then. And they sit down, they talk, and they're talking, and it's like some cake. He says, Sure, and he tastes the cake. It's amazing. Anyway, for some reason, Abmelo told him his whole story, his whole woeful story, how his wife's holding him a divorce, and how he lost the money, but he has a thousand ruble left. No. I said, you know what? We're friends now. Tomorrow, meet me in the same spot, same time, with another cake, of course, <laughs> and we'll talk. Good. But, yeah, the next day he comes there, and lo and behold, the fellow shows up with somebody else. And they sit and they talk, and the guy says to him, listen, my friend told me that you're in a big lachutz, terrible story here. I have merchandise. I'll charge you exactly a thousand rubles for it. It's cigarette paper. Take it to the town, whatever the name of the town was, where they sell, where they make cigarettes, where the manufacturers are, and you'll be able to sell it for a profit. Now, obviously, the profit that this guy needed was 10,000 rubles. He needed to come home with the 10,000 rubles. He couldn't come home with less. Now, lo and behold, he takes his wagon of, he says, you must come see it, you must come see it. And he took him, he shows him the paper, cigarette paper of the wagon, and he says, come, go to the town. One of the manufacturers of cigarettes was a fellow named Svigarari. His uncle. Hmm. And he came to his uncle and he told him the story. The whole story. And how the Rebbe told him to come here and to recoup his money with this. So she says, listen, you bought a thousand dollars worth of, a thousand rubles worth of paper. That's what it's worth. I'll be nice. You need to make panasa. I'll give you fifteen hundred for it. This is nothing doing. I okay. You need the money and everything in far to related. I'll give you two thousand. He says for a penny less than two ten thousand. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> ten thousand, like Michigan, that's outlandish. It's not worth anything here. Kitsa, that's my price. He goes around peddling his thousand dollars worth of merchandise for ten thousand rubles for ten thousand, and he's getting a little you know, jeering and laughing. And it's but there's words out on the street. There's a guy with thousand rubles worth of paper. And he wants ten thousand rubles. The next morning he's going to show, and a fellow runs over to him and says, "You're the guy with the paper." He says, "Yeah." He says, ten thousand rubles is your price." He says, "Yeah." He says, look, and he shows him the 10,000 rubles. He says, show me your paper. He takes him to the wagon, he shows him the paper, he gives him the 10,000 rubles, shalom. What happened? The paper factory burned down the night before. Uh-huh. So there was a tremendous demand for the paper. So he took... He took and he sold it at the profit, the profit he wanted. The violet, the uncle came running, he says, no, no, where's your paper? I'll give you your 10,000 rubles. He says, no, yet it's finished. <laughs> so 
He went back to the Rebbe afterwards to thank the Rebbe for the Mephis. And the Rebbe, in essence, said, we're even now. You did for me, I did for you back. We're even. We see, though, therefore, how the Rebbe needed for the Chassid to come through to pull off this thing with the sword. The end of the Pasha we said is talking about Muhammad Amalek. Amalek is mentioned many times in the Torah. Amalek's goal is Shekarcha Baderech. Shekarcha means I met, they met you on the road, but Karcha also comes from the word Kar, Krirut. They tried to cool off the Jews on the road. They tried to dampen this powerful nation that now came from such miracles in Mitzrayim, and they try to throw a wet blanket on them. From the land. Why are you saying from under the heavens? In essence... Amalek's work Amalek is the gematria suffix the word Amalek has the same numerical value as the word suffix doubt Amalek's goal is to always put doubts in what a person is doing the doubts ultimately are going to try to sever our connection with the Eivishter our connection with God so the doubts are trying to put a cloud between us and God. Zok the Teda. Teda tells us you have to eradicate and wipe out Amalek from under the heaven because you don't want that mechitza, that separation between us and God. Bilam. A few weeks ago we learned Pasha's Balak. And Bilam talks about, tries to curse the nation, tries to curse the Jews, <laughs> and he says a fantastic word. He says, is goyim amalek, the first of the nations amalek, and in the end, he will ultimately get lost. What is he implying? Amalek was not a total fool. Rashi describes him as a total fool because Rashi describes him as a marshal in Bishalach of a very, very hot river, a bed of water. The water was so hot, nobody can go in. Anyone that would go in would get scolded, they would get burnt. That's something to that. to be shy. Okay, you go hungry. <laughs> so, Amalek had a plan. When he thought he could cool off the Jewish nation, he thought he could present a problem to the Jewish nation, he had a plan, he had something in mind. What was his cheshm? Reishis. Goyim Amalek. Reishis means the beginning. 
Amolik Ayin Mem Lamid Kuf is a is an is Rash Tevis is a is a acronym. Wow, I actually remember the word. Amram, Moshe, Levi, and Kahas. Amolik stands for Amram, Moshe, Levi, and Kahas. So he said, in my name it shows my essence. Because in the name is the essence of the person. So if my essence has a source of Amram and Moshe and Levi and Kahas, I am very powerful, I can overcome this nation. Reish is Goyim. From the beginning of his letters, this is what he came up with. But, says Bilam Vachrisi, What's his achrisai? What's the end? Amalek, Amram, Moshe, Levi, and Kahas. Amram is Mem. Moshe ends with a Hey. Levi, a Yud, and Kahas, a Saf. Mem, Yud, Saf, Hey. Misa. Death. The achrisai, but the end, and the other is going to finish him off. So whereas Amalek comes to present himself, there's nothing there. We spoke last week about an interesting meeting that it met, I met somebody going to a wedding and he asked me a question. What is the meaning of all these things in the Torah that never happen? And in this week's parsha, we have just that. The, two, the, white, the man took the woman that he captured, he married her, one he likes, one he doesn't like, and then one is going to hate, one is going to not, and the child is going to like, and he's going to take over the other one. Then the Torah continues, Ki ish bein And the Farshim tells us, Rashi explains that this is all in order. If the person is going to take this woman, going to end up, God forbid, with a child, it's going to be a Sorer more. The Sarah Merit has a long list of criteria. Can't just be a bad boy. He can't be Bamitzah, he has to be younger than Bamitzah. He has to eat a, a ludicrous amount of food. He has to, I mean, those who are interested, Google Sarah Merit, and you'll see exactly what he had to be. Said Mufarshim that Sarah Merit never happened. There was never a child that was ultimately be able to reach all the category, all the, cari- the criteria to be a Seyra Meira. What's that? Let us look what happens here. The Pasik tells us a person has Kiyelish Bain Seyra Meira and they come to Bezden and they bring the child to Bezden. And the Pasik says, A neno shemea. He doesn't listen. Bekel aviv, the voice of his father, or bekel imei, or the voice of his mother. He doesn't listen to them. Something's wrong here. This is a, a bell should shoot out. A red flag, the yellow flag, some kind of flag has to come up over here. What don't we understand here in this Pasuk? Technically, it should say simple. 
he doesn't listen to what his parents are telling him. What's Ubekel Aviv? Ubekel Aviv? One of the things that happens here, it's horrendously humiliating for a person to come forth and say that their child, Rahman al-Islam, is a Seder Omeda. Because the immediate reaction is, who's at fault? Someone was telling me the other day that one of the most juiciest conversations that they come up with on the internet, on the websites, Who's at fault for the lack of the chinuch? Who's at fault for the children falling through the cracks? Who, and is it the principals? And is it the teachers? Is it the parents? Is it the siblings? Is it the friends? And each side comes up with a different twist and the comments fly and the people get involved. And live and let live, man. Look in a mirror and just do what you have to do. Make sure what you see in that mirror is you and make sure you're supposed to be who you are. Stop counting and counter-counting. But here it happens. The parents are saying, it's not us. He did it himself. And Bezin says, excuse me? Daddy has a voice and mommy has a voice, but they're not the same. It's not the one united, united voice, the one united front that mommy and daddy are having together, Abba and Ima, Tati and Mami, Padre and Madre, are all on the same page. There's a voice of the father and there's a voice of the mother. And you're confusing the child. So this is something that the Besnes are really reprimanding the parents for. That you're bringing forth a child that in of course not. How can he? He doesn't know. You're saying to go this way. You're saying to go that way. You're saying to act like this. You're saying to act like that. He has mixed messages all day long. Where do you expect this poor child to go? <laughs> they tell a story of him, Mr. Cohen, married an Italian son. And the Italians, the name Carmen is used for men and ladies. It's unisex. And they decided the first child, she decided the first child they're going to have, they're going to call Carmen. And it was a little girl. But he wanted the child to know that there was some Jewish blood. So whereas the mother called the kid Carmen, he used to call the kid Cohen. (laughs) So imagine the mother always calling the kid Carmen. Cohen, Carmen, Cohen, Carmen, Cohen, Carmen, Cohen. By the time the kid was 12, she didn't know she was Carmen or Cohen. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's pretty much exactly the example of what goes on over here. We must finish off, it's, it would be a crime not to use, the, not to say the Medrash, although we missed everything that we were supposed to say today. Ki When you will come upon the nest of the bird, Shaleach Teshalach Esaim, Vesabonim Tikachloch. You send away the mother, you take the eggs, Afrechim, Ebeitzim, and you make sure the mother stays away, you drive away the mother, and you take the thing. What is the reward, says the Torah, the Manitavloch Barachta Yomim? 
it will be good for you and you'll have longevity. Yeah, yeah, every Friday I write longevity in the text. Yes, yes, yes. Same word. Sending a bird away from its children brings not just a good mitzvah, not just a nice idea, but the Yitavloch Varachta Yomim, it's absurd. So severe. Only, only Kibbut Aveim has that. Zoktan's Teda. Kindalach, listen to what happens here. The mother bird gets chased away from its children. The mother bird starts to fly and to cry and to beg and to plead and to plead and to cry. And you hear a bird crying as it goes soars through the air. My children, my children, when will I ever see them again? And ultimately, says the message, the bird can't take any more the pain and reverts down, downward, spirals downward and commits suicide. At which point the Malachi Ashad has come before the Almighty God and they say, What did you do that for? Why would you make a mitzvah to kill this bird? Did the bird commit suicide? Why would you do such a mitzvah? Why would you institute such a thing? And Hashem says, doesn't answer them. When they all leave, and they all finish complaining how the mother bird is crying that wants to be with her children again, God says, excuse me, God says to the Malachim, and when I cry for my children, I want to take them out of Golis, and I want to bring them back home, who defends me? Who's sticking up for me? Who's saying anything for me? And the Malachim have nothing to say and they leave. When the Malachim leave, God remains with his own thoughts. What are his thoughts? What he just talked about. His children. They're in Golis. I must take them out. So he sends Mashiach. When God is going to send Mashiach, the man Yitavloch, that's when it will be good for us. And that's when we'll have longevity. We'll have forever and ever. Yem shekulei tayu shekulei aruch chayi lamin, and therefore we wish just very that very idea. Tomorrow, test Elul. We said the outside the mechal ben Absalkin, the kitzur v'rana sheikh neafar, and the Mashiach blows the shefer, so that kitzetze. We go out. It'll be a Shabbos of going out, out of Golas not just out to war, but we'll hear the blowing of the Shefer, and this Shabbos we will spend in Yerushalayim, Mirakedesh, and that bird will see to it that the Eivishter finally sends down the Gula, Amitaz Vashlema, and the Seed, the Reina Bereshem. Good night to all. I've got to get to the airport. Oh.